Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are in a message series called CPR, Christ's Promises in Revelation. And what this is, is it's in the book of Revelation. There are seven letters written to seven churches that have warnings and promises. And, and it's a way that Jesus, as he writes to the pastors of these congregations, is, is trying to make them aware of things that they are doing, that they are doing well, of areas where they need to improve, and, and in some areas even some serious problems. And then he leaves them in every church with a promise about something for the future, something to encourage them, something to help them in their struggle every day as they they take those next steps on the path that lead to him. And one of the things that I wanted to do is, because we're talking about these these seven churches, and I'm guessing most of the names of these churches, like Thyatira, you you don't know what city that is or, or where it is or anything like that. So what I did for today is I got a map, and this will show you, this is the Mediterranean world. Uh, Straight above the Aegean Sea is where Greece is. Over on the far side, you can see Jerusalem over on on the right side there. And and in where it says Asia, that sometimes is also called Asia Minor, and today it's modern-day Turkey. And so you will see that the, the churches we have talked about already, we started with Ephesus, then went up the coast to Smyrna, then at the top is Pergamum, and now we're going back the other side, and, and we're at Thyatira. Now, when you think about this, this area, here's, this might help you mentally, it helped me. I want you to think about the, the difference in area. The, the amount of area we're talking is approximately from Tucson to Sedona. So, so that's about how much land we're talking about, you know, couple hundred miles or so in that neighborhood. So they're not necessarily close, but they're not ridiculously far away either from one from the other. The other reason why I tell you, think in terms of, of Tucson to, to Sedona, is I want you to think about the different towns, different cities that are in that area, and that if there were churches in those towns, just one Christian church where, where a group of Christians had formed, to understand that depending on what town you were in, you would probably have different things that you would face by virtue of living there. I'll give you an example. If there was a church in Sedona, I want you to think about that. A group of believers in Sedona, do you think living in Sedona might have some unique spiritual issues that other places want. It's, for goodness sakes, it's the spiritual vortex of the universe. Uh, that people are there, and, and you have your sweat lodges, and you have these spiritual people in the New Age movement. And all of these people converge on Sedona. And I guarantee you, if, if you have a church, a Christian church in Sedona, this is something that you are going to need to address. Now let's imagine that we move down a ways and we go to Scottsdale. And again, when you think of Scottsdale, I don't know what you think of, but I usually think of money. I mean, that that on that north side of town. And and so if you had a a church with individuals in an area that was very affluent, that they would probably face different challenges related to 
money and finance and, and maybe having that as a God that other congregations wouldn't. And then you think of Tempe. Tempe, that, that we look at that and probably for, for them, devil worship. Sun devil worship <laughs> as we look at that, yeah? <laughs> okay, maybe not sun devil worship. Maybe, but, but maybe in a, a university town a number of intellectuals, and so a need for apologetics and, and, and arguing or, or debate of faith back and forth. You see how that works with, with each city because they, they have somewhat of a reputation and, and to know something about each one of those towns can, can help you in understanding the message as well. But here's the thing is no matter with these letters, even though they're written to different churches in different places, The reason why they're made available to all of us is because each one of them has a warning that each one of us needs to hear, that these messages are valuable. And so today, as we we think about Thyatira and what they were running into, the city itself was probably most like, if we're thinking in in terms of, of Arizona, I would say it's like Casa Grande, Casa Grande. So, so, and the reason why I say that is it's a little smaller town. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere between the bigger towns. And that's what Thyatira was like. It, it wasn't a really big town. And, and as we look specifically at this, this congregation, it, it was difficult. It was a difficult place to live financially. Not a lot of, of business and industry necessarily was there. And one of the things that, that they ran into specifically was issues of doctrine and issues of things that were being taught in their congregation. Now, why is this important? I'll use an illustration. This might help. I want you to imagine that you you have a car, okay, which many of you do. So if you have a vehicle and it starts making a funny noise. So your vehicle's making a funny noise. So what you decide is you decide to, to go and get it checked out. And you go to the first mechanic and he tells you it's going to cost you three grand to get it fixed. Uh, you got some, some more serious issues, so this is going to be an investment to get your, your car fixed. And so if you are like me, you say, I'm going to get a second opinion. So you go and you take the car to another place and you tell them, yeah, it's making this funny noise. Can you take a look at it? And they tell you, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Keep driving it. Uh, that noise will go away in no time. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Now, the question is, which mechanic, which one of those mechanics do you want to believe? Easy, right? I want to believe the guy who tells me that it's going to cost me nothing. But which mechanic do you need to hear? And the answer to that is, Whichever one is being honest. It's not a matter of, of whether it's, it's going to cost you nothing or $3,000. But what you need to know is which one is actually the truth. Because if the one who tells you it's nothing and it's going to cost you nothing is, is the one who's telling you the truth, you don't want to waste $3,000. But if the one who's telling you it's going to cost you $3,000 is being truthful... What happens if if you don't do anything about the problem and you're driving somewhere out in the desert and your car breaks down? That that now makes you realize it's going to cost you at least $3,000 plus the towing, and that's if you make it out of the desert alive. 
And so that is why it's so important as we, we look at this to make sure, first of all, that you have a mechanic that you trust, okay? And, and if that's important when it comes to something like fixing your car or going to a doctor, how much more that when we think of what we hear spiritually, that when someone tells us something about our hearts, that if someone talks to us about an issue like sin and if there's a problem or not or forgiveness, how do we know that our source is reliable? And, and who do we listen to? Do we listen to the person who tells us what we want to hear? Or do we listen to the person who tells us what we need to hear, even if it's difficult? That's what the church at Thyatira was, was going through. And I think it's something that applies to all of us today. And so today we, we look at Thyatira, which is also called, called the corrupt church, because they were listening to the wrong people. Now, as we start, we start with Revelation 2, verse 18, and, and this is the letter. We're just going to work our way through it. Revelation 2, 18, this is the way the letter started. And it says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. Okay, so he's writing to the angel, which is the messenger, the pastor at the church in Thyatira. And now these are the words of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, true God, true man. And this is what he wants them to know about himself. The son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like, are like burnished bronze. So now as we look at this, it's important because we're finding out something about Jesus. We're finding out something about our God that he wants you to know. And the first part is that his eyes, his eyes have this burning fire in them. And this idea of the fire is, is that you understand that not only does he see you, but he sees through you, that, that he sees to the heart. And, and when I think of this verse, I, I think of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. And then it goes on a, a little bit farther and it says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. The picture there is that Jesus knows you inside out, that Jesus knows what is going on in your life. And on the one hand, it is a little scary because Jesus has seen me at all times, even at the times when I do bad. But it's also comforting that, that Jesus knows what is going on in my life, even in the difficult times. And he knows and he cares about what is going on. The second thing, then, is it says that his feet are like burnished bronze. And when you look at exactly what, what does that mean, that his feet are like burnished bronze, maybe a way to help you understand that would be to ask the question, what happens in your home when there is a bug on the floor? If it's like my home, when there's a bug on the floor, it's, it's an emergency that only dad can take care of. And, and so I have to go over there, and, and usually what I do is a, a tested, time-tested uh, thing, and that is, and then this is the important part. Anyone can do that, but the slide. The slide afterwards is guarantee of death of whatever is under my foot. And now I do that, uh, I usually don't do it with flip-flops, I usually, <laughs> I always make sure I have shoes on. But now I want you to imagine that someone is doing that with feet 
of burnished bronze. That as they're walking, it's walking over like Iron Man and stamping down that foot and doing it. And, and this is important because the feet of burnished bronze, when, when God tells us that he is going to put the enemies of Jesus at the end of time, where is he going to put them? Under his feet. And it's this, this show of power of who Jesus is, that with these feet of burnished bronze, when you will be under my feet, uh, you, will, you will know the, the power that I have. And so in the blank, you can write, Jesus' eyes see into our hearts and lives. His, his eyes see into our hearts and lives, and his bronze feet bring judgment and destruction. And as you look at this, I haven't seen any pictures of Jesus hanging on many, anyone's walls that have this picture of Jesus. That the, the fire in the eyes and the burnished feet, that the, the Jesus of, of judgment. And it's important for us to understand that this is part of what Jesus does and, and who Jesus is. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment of why this is so important. But right now we go on. So, so this is who's writing the letter. It's Jesus. And this is what he says to them. He says, I know your deeds. Why does he know their deeds? Because he has eyes like fire and he sees them, okay? So I know your deeds, your love and your faith. Also because he has eyes of fire, which not only see what they do, but he sees why they are doing these things, which is great. They're done for the right reasons. Love and faith, because of your relationship with me, you're doing them. Your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So he sees what's going on in this congregation, and he's very thankful that they're growing. They're, they're doing more than they did at first. They're growing up, and slowly but surely, this congregation is starting to develop. And the way that I would put this in crosswalk language would be this. The Christians at Thyatira loved ministry teams. I see what you're doing, the, the work that's being done. And the reason why this is so important is because of this. I've, I've said this a number of different times, and I have no problems saying this because it's, it's not something that I personally am, in, in, am doing and are a, a big part of this, but every Saturday at Crosswalk, I don't know if everyone here realizes what's done at 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, this, this goes from... Cesar Chavez High School to crosswalk worship. And it doesn't happen magically. It happens when, when individuals come and, and, and crosswalk kids. Every single desk needs to be moved. Every single one. Every piece of crosswalk kids, uh, piece of uh, material that is used in, in toys and anything like that needs to be brought from a storage room here over to there. When we start out here, every, everything that you see here, all the, the musical equipment, all of it is stored in a storage closet. It needs to be brought out. That screen has to be put up and taken down every week. Uh, there, there is so much work. And then on, on Sunday at 1245, it needs to be taken down and, and put back again. And here's what happens with ministry teams. I'm, I'm just going to tell you this, just so, so you're aware of this, is, is when you're in a ministry team and you're doing all these things, and a lot of times you're isolated because you're over in the other building and, and no one's around, you feel like no one knows what you're doing. 
And, and you feel isolated and alone as you serve. And you say, what's the point? It, it seems like it's a waste of time. That is when you need to know that your God has fire in his eyes. And he knows what is going on. He sees what is going on. He cares about what is going on. And he has bronze feet. So he's able to do something about it. So this is about ministry teams. This is, this is my encouragement to you. As it was for the people of Thyatira, they were being praised for this. To consider ways that you can serve. But I also want you to understand that that this is also ways that you are serving that aren't necessarily connected to crosswalk, but they are connected to your walk with Christ. This might be the person who's helping an elderly parent. This is a parent who's, who's struggling with a sick child who's up throwing up at night. And you're the only one there. And you wonder, oh my goodness, how can I keep doing this? So what is it, what area is it that you are serving where you are helping other people, that you are helping one other person and, and no one seems to know or care about it? I'm telling you that Christ does. He knows. He sees what you are doing and he sees into the heart as well. And that's encouraging. And we go on from there. So that's the good stuff. This thanks. This is great. This is what we have. God and his people. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So now they have this issue that there is a woman in the congregation who is teaching things that are false. You have someone in the congregation who's telling someone there's nothing wrong with the car. It's not going to cost you anything to fix. Everything's fine. Just keep going. And, and she's wrong. Now, I'm willing to bet everything I own, which isn't very much, that her name is not Jezebel. But what, what it's doing is by calling her Jezebel... It's making reference to a, a queen of Israel from about 800 years before. It was King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And, and Jezebel was the worst. And Ahab was, well, he was, they were both the worst. Together they were the worst uh, thing that ever happened to the leadership of, of Israel. And one of the things that Jezebel did in, in particular was she followed the false god Baal. And then what she did was she hired hundreds and hundreds, thousands of prophets for the prophet Baal. And you know what the, the prophets of Baal taught? Whatever Jezebel told them to. And, and so what, what she had done, so not only was there this, did she have false beliefs and, and uh, lies about God, however you want to say it, but now she's in a situation where she's got her own teachers set up so she's not only doing something wrong, she's telling those who follow the truth, no, you're wrong and I'm right. And specifically, the, it, Baal was a, a type of uh, fertility cult. It, it, it celebrated reproduction and sexual activity. And, and it would be with people, it would be with animals, it would be with crops. And, and, and so the people, as they looked at that, thought, you know what? 
that's good. We, we would like our farms to be more successful. We're, we're interested in this. this. This sounds like a type of religion we would like to follow. But then the Lord sent a prophet, and that prophet's name was Elijah. And Elijah went to Jezebel and, and to the people. He said, what you're doing is wrong. And, and the way that he said it the one day was, was just classic when he said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship him. But if the Lord is God, worship him. How long are you going to waver between a $3,000 estimate on your car and a, and a $0 estimate? At some point, you have to figure out which, which mechanic's telling you the truth. And you know what? Today's the day. And so what Elijah did is, is he proposed a way to find this out, who the true God was. And, and what he did was he said, we're going to build two altars. Prophets of Baal, you build one. Call on your God, Baal, to bring fire down on the altar. I'll call on the Lord, which, whichever God answers with fire, that's the true God. To make a long story short, prophets of Baal uh, went all day, no answer. When Elijah went at the time of the evening prayer and prayed to the Lord, Lord, let them know who the true God is. Fire came down from heaven, uh, burnt up the sacrifice. He even had poured water on top of the sacrifice, burned that up in the stones. Everything was gone. So they knew the Lord, the Lord, he is God. False teaching it is so damaging, and this is why. In the blank, you can write doctrine. And, and doctrine and teaching, it's, it's this different words for the same thing. So doctrine is important because it reveals to us who God is, who God is and what he, what he is like. Doctrine is so important because it reveals to us who God is and what he is like. This is a huge problem. This is a huge problem in Christian churches today because I'm telling you that in Christian churches, some, some well-meaning people, some un, not well-meaning people, some sincere, some insincere are Jezebels. That they are teaching what it is that, that they want to believe and putting it out there. And I guarantee you, just like you could go around and get different estimates on a car and find someone to tell you what you want to hear, you can do the same in churches. You can. You can go anywhere and, and hear just about anything that you want to believe. Now, the question is, is that what you want? Do you, do you want to, to form for yourself a God that's a reflection of who you are? Or do you want the truth? Do you want the spiritual truth? And the, and the answer isn't even found in the denomination. I'm not even going to stand up here and say, you know, crosswalk. Hey, Jeff and I, it's like we figured it out. We have the secret sauce. We have the one way to God. But it's found in his word. It's found in the study of his word in the Bible. That is how we know more and more about God. And, and the reason why this is so important can probably be seen most clearly in the life of Christ. Because the children of Israel went away from God's word, went away from teaching. And, and they had this false idea in their head of what the, the Christ, the promised Savior, would be like. So that when Jesus came and said, here I am, they had no use for him. Because they had fallen in love with an image of their own imagination. And because Jesus didn't fit into that, they, they put him to death. They had no use for him. God help us so that we don't do the same in our own lives. Pushing Christ away because of false teaching. 
It's it's big deal. And that's why as we continue from there, Revelation 22, 23, this is what he says to her. So I will cast you on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her. Again, this is imagery because remember, this was all about sexuality and, and being in the bedroom and that type of stuff. I'm going to throw you on the bed with these partners of yours. And they're going to suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts, eyes of fire, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds, feet of bronze. This is pretty harsh. Now, it's talking about her children dying, most likely talking about those who follow her, that there are going to be both spiritual and physical consequences. Spiritual, if you continue to go farther and farther away from me, that, that, to this false God, that, that you are going to spiritually die. And physically, if you continue with these sexual sins, there are going to be physical ramifications for what you're doing. Whether it be sexually transmitted disease or whatever it is, understand that there will be consequences that ultimately, spiritually, you are going to break down. And so the encouragement to repent. And again, to show how serious this is, another one where Jesus is talking about those who teach falsely in in luke 17 verse 2 says it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble so you better watch what is coming out of your mouths that that if you are leading people astray and so in the blank you can write those who do wrong and teach others to do the same will face severe punishment will face severe punishment that's strong in truth. That's being honest about what's wrong. And, and, and Jesus trying to tell them in no uncertain terms that, that there is a problem. But even in those words, there, there were words of, of invitation. And that's when he said, unless you repent, what you're doing is wrong. But now repent. The, the same idea, turn from it. Understand what is going on, and now it's time to go to someone who is going to tell you the truth. Revelation 2, 24 and 25 says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, so not all of them, so that's an encouragement too. Not everyone had fallen into this false trap. They were able to see through her too. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So for the rest of you, I understand this is brutal right now, that, that it's hard to stand up against this false prophet and a lot of things are going on. So just hold on. Hold on to my teaching. Hold on to my word. Hold on to me. In the blank, you can write, Jesus calls us to turn from false teaching and to hold to the truth. Turn from false teaching and hold on to the truth. The people in Thyatira liked ministry teams, but the people in Thyatira did not like growth groups and the class system. For whatever reason it was, that, they, that you asked them to serve, and help, yeah, we'll do that. 
But when it came to, you know what, what we need to really do is study the Bible and we need to understand a, a little more about what it has to say and what it means for your life. You know what, we got a lot of things going on and it's difficult for us to get that in our schedule. So we're going to have to say no right now. That sounds to me a lot like crosswalk. It just does. It just does. And, and, and as I look at this, this and I'm not saying that, that you have to be in the growth group and you have to be in the class system, okay? But what you do need is to be in God's word and the encouragement that as you are in the word of God to be in with other people with community as well. The Bible makes that pretty clear. And, and so what we've done at Crosswalk is, is tried to do it and package it in a way that will help you cover the bases on finding out who God is. And, and so, so in the 101 class, it's Jeff's teaching it right now. Why Jesus? Why the church? Why this church? Why the Bible? And, and those questions are answered in 201 class as, as we go through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, finding more out about our God. In 301, when we look at our relationship with God in our lives and how we live our faith. 401, living with mission and a purpose in our lives. 501, as we share Christ. All of these things have, have one thing in common. And they are ways that you hold on to Jesus. Because the way that you hold on to Jesus is when you embrace his word. When you have this definite information about God that he has given you. And we have it right there in the Bible. That's the encouragement. That was the encouragement for the people of Thyatira. Get back into the word of God. And then he gives the promise. If you want to know what, what then, if you want kind of the hook on why this is going to be good for you, this is the promise I have. Revelation 2, 26 and 28. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. So this is what he's, he's, he's promising you. Authority in victory and the morning star. As we look at those two concepts, uh, to clarify, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 helps us when it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And so we look at that first part, that if we endure, he will also reign with us. We will also reign with him. There's something about sharing in a victory that's just awesome. It's just so much fun. And this just happened yesterday, and it's on my mind. It makes me think of this. Yesterday, some of you know, uh, Arizona Lutheran Academy, one of our mission, uh, you know, how, with Crosswalk, one of our partners in ministry, their girls' volleyball team won the Division Five state championship. So that was, we can clap for them too, just to make sure you're. And, and so what happens is this, is newsflash, I don't play volleyball. I'm not in high school and I'm not on the team. But yet as, as that team won, it was not only the, the 12 girls who are on that team, but it's also a victory that's brought to the school. And it's a victory that the parents enjoy. And, it, and it's a, a victory that the the greater community, those who are associated with the school, can enjoy as well. 
And so as we look at this, this is what, what Jesus is promising, is, is that we are going to enjoy this victory. Now, I'm telling you, I went to a few of these games that the girls played, and, and some of them were watched like this, as, as it was, I was just so nervous. I, I, thought, I thought they were going to lose, okay? I did. I thought they were going to lose. And then they won. And then after that, the, the victory is just something else. And that's what Jesus promises for us because sometimes the people in Thyatira thought they were going to lose. Sometimes we feel spiritually like we're losing. But we have a God not only with fire in his eyes, but we have a God with bronze feet. He's not going to lose. And the victory that he will enjoy is one that you will enjoy as well. That is the promise. Victory. Victory on the other side. And then finally, in Revelation twenty two sixteen, explaining the morning star, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The second thing Jesus promises to give you is himself. Jesus promises a relationship. And in that relationship, the best part of it is having Jesus. In the blank, you can write, Christ promises to give authority over the nations and the morning star. He promises authority over the nations and the morning star. And one of my favorite verses, as we look at this, one of my favorite verses that, that kind of summarizes his ideas from Psalm 37, verse 4. And it says, Take delight in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of your heart. When I was a kid, what I thought this verse meant was that if I really will delight in Jesus, he'll give me my new bike. You know, that that as long as I'm loving Jesus and I'm delighting in him, he's going to give me whatever I want, whatever my heart wants. What this verse is really saying is when Jesus is the delight of your heart, and, 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 and you focus on this relationship that you have with him, he's going to the, give you the desires of your heart, and you know what the desires of your heart are going to be? Him. And what he wants to give you. And, and the blessings that come as a result of, of that relationship. That's the promise. The promise, and, and the good part of this is Jesus. In the blank, you can write, our defense against corruption is learning and doing. Learning and doing. This is how God makes us fully developed followers of Christ. That's what the people in Thyatira needed to do. They were doing, but they needed to continue growing. Learning and doing. Learning and doing. And grow up in the faith. I find it especially comforting... For one reason, I don't know if you do or not. I don't know if this is just me, but the fact that Jesus knows what's going on brings me tremendous comfort in my life. It, that he knows and sees me. I know there's a scary part to it, but, but more than anything else, I'm comforted by God not only knows what is going on, but is able to do something about it. And so God knows me. And sometimes I stop there. What this lesson is telling us, and this important takeaway for today is, God knows you, but he wants you to know him. 
that, that he wants to give you more and more insight to the way that, that he thinks and what makes him tick. And he gives us words like love and grace and forgiveness and caring and concern and, and so many other things in his word. And so that is why, as you look at, if I'm looking for a reason, what's going to motivate me to, to find out more about someone that I'm in a relationship? It, it, it's finally going to be the relationship. Jesus knows me. I know him and continue to get to know him better. And now in the middle of that is me being able to live and serve him and enjoying this relationship in this life and the one to come. That was the promise Thyatira needed and it's one that you need as well. Continuing to find out more sure, truthful information about your God that is life-changing, that, that brings you into action, that strengthens that relationship in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, the, we, we see these truths in your word today. First of all, about who you are, that, that fire, just the fire in your eyes and the bronze feet, that you know and have the power to do something about it in our lives. We know that you showed that on the cross when you came and you forgave us. Uh, and you paid the penalty for sin of all times. And, and for that, we thank you. Now, Lord, as we go through our lives, help us to get to know you better and better. Help us as we, we study your word to not just look at it as academic facts where we're just getting information, but rather a growing relationship that, that we get to know you better and it leads us to, to action and, and being closer to you in our lives. We thank you that that you keep us safe and, and we ask you to keep us safe from corruption and always turn us back to you, the one true source uh, of information that we need for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. He wanted a relationship with them. But the thing about it is that relationship is an exclusive one. That, that if they wanted to enjoy the blessings of a relationship with him, that, that they had to turn from other relationships, a relationship with the world, and, and, and push that aside. And so today, it's like getting a note from Jesus saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and if you had that from another person, if this was someone in school, you know, I, I'd like to, to have a relationship with you, you'd probably want to get to know that person more. And, and in that relationship is how you do that. And that's my encouragement for you today. This message, as much as any that I've ever shared with you, calls for a next step. That when someone says, I, I want a relationship with you, the next step is either to say, yes, I'm going to pursue that relationship, or no, I'm not. And so your next step for you, the, the question I have is, what is your next step? How are you going to pursue that relationship with Christ that he so desperately wants to have? As you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.